So if you're a investor, so one of the things that I noticed is like um, most investors should probably take like a wholesaler approach and like build out systems and stuff like that. Whereas most investors actually just kind of like sit around and wait for deals to come by or like a realtor to send them something or whatever. Um, Why do you think like more people don't like build out systems for acquisition and stuff and like take the acquisition side of real estate seriously? Cause it's hard. That'd be the number one answer. It's not easy. Like, dude, you're calling people all day. Like literally think about this. You have to text 18,000 people. You get a hundred people. Here at the instant leverage podcast, we ask all our guests to fill out a little application so we can get a little background info on them to tee up these little intros. Today's guest is Chandler Singh, who is a 22-year-old wholesaler on pace to pull in $1.5 million in revenue this year. And when asked what he'd like to discuss on the podcast, he said, dick size. That definitely piqued my interest. Unfortunately, I was disappointed to find out that all Chandler really wanted to do was drop knowledge bombs on how he built his business and the strategies and tactics that helped him scale. Oh, well, I guess the dick measuring competition will have to wait. Welcome to the Instant Leverage Podcast. Boom. Here with Chandler, sane. The uh, the sanest man on the internet. Shoot. I don't know about all that now. So, What's up, JR, bro? How you doing? So I'm I'm fan, fan fucking tabulous. Dude, uh, I like to hear that. Chandler, I met Chandler through a friend. And uh, he's a total boss. 22 years old. Are you still, still 22? I am 22 still. Yes. For quite a little while. Just wrecking the game, wrecking the real estate game. So, uh, I was super impressed, uh, by you by like within like five minutes of meeting, I was like, Oh, this dude's a baller. So, uh, had to have you on the podcast. Glad we're finally doing this, but basically, um, you're a wholesaler and you've wholesaled how many deals at this point? Um, I think we have done like we have done 37 this year and have like five on our balance sheet right now nice. that we're flipping. Nice. Nice. So, so how did cool. you like, first of all, why not? Like everybody's thinking like, why not just go to college or whatever? Like what made you go down this path? So I did go to college for a little bit. Um, I went to college. I actually wrestled my freshman year of high of college. Um, so I did go pretty traditional route. Then I moved in with my now partner and he actually found this thing on YouTube, like about a, about a year, six months to a year before I moved in with him, we linked up. Um, and then, you know, ever since then, we've just kind of been going hard at it. And, uh, you know, I got to the point where I was like, it doesn't make sense for me to go to school anymore. So pretty much just, you know, you don't need school, um, <laughs> unless you're going to be a doctor. Like if you're going to be a doctor, you might want to go, but so for, yeah. for those that don't know what wholesaling is, give a high level overview real quick. So basically a high level of wholesaling is one, just the general wholesaling is you buy something cheap, you sell it for more, but in real estate, it's a little bit different. Essentially what we're doing is we're going off market to homeowners and we're marketing and asking if they're interested in selling their property, we're going under contract to buy that property. But there's one little difference in wholesaling real estate versus just normal transactions. We have a clause called an assignment clause. It's called an assignment clause. And what that allows you to do is assign the rights to that contract to someone else. So what we do is we buy a house, let's say at a hundred thousand dollars. And then we know, Hey, my flipper friend will pay $115,000 because that still makes sense for his numbers. So we'll assign the property to him, assign the right to that contract to him before we close for 115. And then we'll make that $15,000 spread called an assignment fee. So that's essentially right. all it is, is you're connecting a seller with a buyer. Um, obviously the buyer is closing in cash and they close quick and that's kind of our service. Right. So it's a like, a, I see a lot of like, it's like a very like biz oppy opportunity. Like a lot of gurus te- have courses on wholesaling. And uh, if you search like, you know, how to make money in real estate or whatever, probably the first video will be on like how to wholesale. So because of the low barrier to entry, it's pretty competitive, but uh, you've managed to figure it out in a competitive market in a, in the Atlanta area. So mm-hmm. how are you finding and generating these deals? So the main way, the best way, like we, we literally have like a, I looked at our numbers. We have like a 17.5 X return on our, our ad spend 
for it's called the SMS uh, outbound SMS. So not kind of like cold calling, but just over the texting uh, communication channel. So literally what we'll do is we'll get a list of a bunch of people and their phone numbers from like any data provider, like let's say prop stream or list source. And then we'll skip trace that list and get phone numbers. Skip tracing gives you the phone numbers. And then we'll just literally throw it into an SMS campaign and a software called launch control. And we'll text a bunch of people and then eventually they'll reply back interested in selling. And then that's when we, you know, obviously take it down and segment the data way more, but that's the number one way to field interest. And it's, it's a pretty labor intensive channel of doing it because it takes like a hundred leads to get a contract, to get someone who's interested in selling. And like for you to know, for us to wholesale property, it takes like 18,000 text messages to get one person who's going to be interested. But I mean, in a, in a high level, you just text a bunch of people, see if they're interested in selling their property. Uh, if they are, then obviously you have more filters and all that kind of stuff through your uh, sales funnel until eventually, you know, you get someone under contract. And that's our main way right now. It's our best return. Uh, we actually have TV ads running as well, which are now at like for last quarter, we were at 3x return on that. Um, so like we have someone like uh, my partner's on a TV channel said, we'll buy your house cash now, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny, but uh, yeah, so those are the two main sources for us. So somebody raises their hand. They're like, yes, I'm interested. Uh, then like, do you call them? Does somebody call them? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, exactly. So basically once someone says they're interested in selling, you know, they're going to come into our CRM. We use Salesforce. And as soon as they come in, we're one of our lead managers, uh, that's what we call them. They're going to call them within like five or 10 minutes. Um, they're basically going to go through a script high level, um, to basically determine if we're a good fit to work together or not. Are we, is it something that we want to go on an appointment with and give an offer to the person? Um, and basically what that kind of looks like is, are they motivated to sell? If they're motivated to sell and have some true motivation, then that's why, you know, when we would set a cash appointment. And then who goes so, and checks out the property and all that. Yeah. So next we don't even go to the properties. That's like kind of the, um, you think you have to go to properties in order to see what it's worth and buy, but we just have a lot of questions that we ask about the condition. You know, the things that really matter to us are the kitchen remodeling, the bathroom remodeling, you know, the roof, the HVAC, those expensive parts of the house. Um, and then we're going to look at comps around the area and just say, Hey, what are other houses selling for in the area? And then wh- how much work does it need roughly? And then we know once we determine that kind of those kind of numbers, then we'll be like, okay, here's our contract price. Uh, then what we'll do is we'll have, once we get an appointment, we'll have like an offer call and that offer call is just, you know, giving them the number, uh, that their property qualifies for. Like what, what can we pay for their pay for their house? And, you know, obviously there's some negotiations in there, but pretty much we can't force anyone to sell their house to us. So if we give them an offer and it doesn't make sense for them, then, you know, it doesn't make sense for them and we're not probably going to do business. So it has to make sense. There has to be a reason why they want to sell quickly for us. And that's why it's like the most important part is, you know, filtering out who, who should we give offers to and not because, you know, someone who says, Hey, I want to sell my house to you for the right price, just because you reached out to me. That's not someone who you really care about giving an offer to, but it's someone who says, yeah, well, you know, my, I just, I just got a divorce and like, um, you know, and I, I don't know what to do with this house I have, and I can't afford it. That's like, that's some true motivation because they have financial distress. So that's the type of people who we're, who we're doing business with for the most part. Yeah. So like for, for most people who are like real estate investors and, and I see this a lot with people who like want to get into it, they'll start looking on like Zillow or whatever, Trulia to try to find deals, but it's just way too competitive there right now. And like, if they talk to a realtor and they have a house uh, the realtor is going to talk them into getting top dollar for it and doing any remodels to get top dollar for it. So it's typically not a great place to uh, find deals. So I always encourage people to go like off market with stuff like this, um, direct mail, Facebook ads, even like finding people who are renting houses on Craigslist under market value and like, you know, calling them up and saying, Hey, would you rather sell instead finding eviction records and contacting those people Cause like you said, uh, those people are in some kind of pain, so they're more likely to want to sell quickly. And if it needs a bunch of repairs or whatever, those properties are typically hard to sell on Zillow if it needs a bunch of repairs. Mm-hmm. So they're better off just getting a, a offer from 
a wholesaler, flipper, investor, whatever. Uh, yeah. You and a lot of people just generally don't like dealing with any of the hassle that comes with realtors and the showings. And, you know, there's just some people just don't like that. So like probably our biggest target audience for us personally, because we're not as big into the niche data because we're marketing to a ton of people in our text messaging and cold calling and all that kind of stuff. Uh, is absentee land owners. So like tired landlords, people who've had tenants who maybe destroyed the property, like the distress, you know, it's a distressed property. They just don't, they, maybe they live out of state. They just don't want to deal with the hassle of, man, I got to go and do all this stuff or I get wait two months. And then maybe the buyer's going to probably fall out at the end because of some financial contingency where we're just here. Hey, this, we'll give you this price. We're going to close no matter what. Um, and then, you know, you want to worry about anything. You have to let us in the property one time and that's it. So that's just so much more convenience. And that's what they pay for is the, the people are paying for convenience um, and just guaranteed closing. So, yeah. So what's like, uh, so th- these, these deals, how hard are they to like get under contract typically? And what's like the most difficult deal that you've had? Dude, um, how hard do they get, get under contract? I would say one, you're dealing with most people's biggest transaction in their life. So if you put that into perspective, it's a pretty big emotional decision for a lot of people. For some people who are landlords, you know, we deal with people who are like, you know, like we know you're going to make money. We really don't care. Just, you know, as long as it's within reason, you know, it's a whatever, like, you know, a normal wholesale fee, which for us is like an average wholesale fee is like around 17,000. So somewhere in that ballpark, they're not too mad about, you know, that they understand the service, but with a lot of other people, it's a big real estate transaction. It's a big transaction for their life. So they're making, you know, decision based on kind of based on emotion. So sometimes it's really hard um, because you got other decision makers and other people involved. So you want to always just figure out who's involved so you can take those objections um, on head on and you don't get those coming back later after you've already given an offer, taken things out. That's probably the biggest piece of advice I'd say is anytime you're dealing with someone, just try to make sure before you give an offer to someone, you make sure all the decision makers are on the call. We don't even give offers if the decision makers aren't all there because what's going to happen is they're going to get your offer then they're going to go shop that thing around and get a higher price and then you're going to get kicked out. So what happened to us a bunch. So we learned and we figured out and you know we messed up so you don't have to mess up. But yeah, that's a huge, huge thing is those expectations you set are the most critical point in the thing. Um, as far as the hardest thing we've hardest deal we've ever done, man, we just closed one, uh, probably like in the middle, middle of June, um, that we bought the house. We, we bought the house. I can't remember the exact date. We all bought the house. We let the, let the owner live in the house for 60 days, rent free. Um, and we helped her move all of her stuff. She was a hoarder. She had like a 2,500 square foot house. So it's a pretty big house. She literally stacked to the ceiling everywhere with boxes and stuff. We let her live there for 60 days. We had to find her an apartment. She had no job. She had no income. She was like 65 years old and she had like no past history of work for 25 years. She had bad credit, all like everything was stacked against us, but we somehow figured out to get her a way to get her an apartment. And we got her moved out of the house and all that stuff moved to storage units, moved to her apartments. And I'm talking, this was a three month process to do. Um, and it, you know, no one else is going to go and move a hoarder out of their house and, you know, take rooms and rooms and rooms of stuff and take it to a storage unit. Then we had to buy her because there was a gap in the time that she had to leave because we already had sold the house to like, um, to open door there was a time for when she had to leave based on what our contract said, 60 days. And then when her apartment would let her move in. So we had bought her a long-term host hotel. So we had to move her stuff there. And then we had to move all of her stuff again to that apartment. I mean, dude, that was like a, and you're dealing with a hoarder. So when you only have a limited amount of space to take all the, all of someone's hoarder or belongings that they're one, they have a really hard time throwing away naturally. Mm-hmm. It's a super hard process because emotionally and, you know, you're trying to do this and they don't want to let go of stuff. I mean, that, that, that was probably the biggest headache, but, um, you know, again, it was worth it. You know, we got compensated f- fairly well for our uh, struggle, I would say, How but that was made on that one. Um, I think we made like 92 or something. It was wow. like our net. Nice. I'll yeah. And then, so who, like who did all the moving of all that shit? So we have, you know, we're 22 years old. So, one of our buddies, he worked, he's our acquisition manager. He's our closer. 
he's in a, he was in a fraternity. So we have a bunch of fraternity friends. Um, and we pretty much just get them to all do, do all of our grunt work, you know, college guys, they want a little bit of money here on the side. So we'll give them like a few days of work a week and just say, Hey, pay you 15 bucks an hour. Go move this people, go move these people out. And I mean, some of the stuff they go do, man, I feel bad about cause it's just disgusting, but yeah. So it was, that was, that was a, that was an interesting one for sure. But, so how much back and forth was there with the, the lady about like, you know, moving her stuff and like, do you like this apartment? Do you not like this apartment? And it's just better for you. Like, how did you get her an apartment with no income and bad credit? Dude. I mean, where do I begin? Oh my gosh. I would say the first place would be one is we had to figure out what her situation was, what were, how bad was the situation? And then one, her expectations of what she wanted were like up here and like where, what we could actually probably get her were like here. Um, I mean, she, they didn't like, it's super tough. I would say we, one, we just talk, called a ton of um, apartment locations we explained the situation we negotiated like hey you know we can pay six months in advance of rent and do all this because she had money from the closing um you know i know the credit's not good blah 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 but we put you know a bunch of rent money up um, at once up front we didn't find her a job uh that was not part of our agreement um, but we did find her the place to stay. Um, as far as moving all of her stuff and getting all that organized, I mean, man, it was, you know, I was getting those late night you up text, but not the ones you want. The ones from, hey, I need a place to take my stuff. Um, and man, dude, it was like, because we, you know, as of doing business, you can only give such so much. Like we, we paid for two months of uh, storage for three units. Um, and she had way more than three storage facility units of stuff. So we had to, she had to throw away a bunch of stuff. Like I think we had five dumpsters at the house, um, like 40 yard dumpsters, which is a lot. Oh, that's a lot. And she also had 600 square feet of storage or cubic, cubic feet of storage, which is a lot as well. And then she had a three, two apartment, which is a lot as well. And, you know, it was really hard for her to throw all that stuff away. Like, I mean, I was on the phone, like going back and forth like why do you, you don't need this and i'm in denver doing this and like so like imagine me on the phone like trying to figure out get, like, get this lady to throw her stuff away that she doesn't want to throw away and i'm in denver like dude it's that thing was i was like beating my head on the wall like, like dude of, i can't i don't know if i'm gonna be able to do what kind of shit do you fill the house with like what kind of hoarder was she bro like I, I literally couldn't tell you what it was one. Like, it's like, you literally seen those, the, the show hoarders and like how they have like stuff everywhere and you don't even know what it is, but then they have the bed and they have like a little trail through the house. That's literally what it was. I like, I'm not even joking. I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's just, there's literally stuff everywhere, dude. It's ridiculous, but Hey, I don't know how people live like that, but I guess pretty you insane. Know. I mean, she's probably been living like that for a while, dude. So uh, she's sixty-five, so yeah. she had to be. So if you're yeah. a investor, so what? One of the things that I noticed is like, um, most investors should probably take like a wholesaler approach and like build out systems and stuff like that. Whereas most investors actually just kind of like sit around and wait for deals to come by or like a realtor to send them something or whatever. Um, why do you think like more people don't like build out systems for acquisition and stuff and like take the acquisition side of real estate seriously? Cause it's hard. That would be the number one answer. It's not easy. Like, dude, you're calling people all day. Like literally think about this. You have to text 18,000 people. You get a hundred people who are interested out of those hundred people, you have to call 99 of them and 99 of them say, hell no, I'm never doing it. Actually, sorry. It'd be 95, 95. I'm like, no, I'm never doing it. Hell no. I'm not selling you my house. Stop calling me. Then you have five people who are like actually in the ballpark. Right. And then out of those five people, you get one or two that actually will do it. So think about all that work, you know, how much time it takes to call hundred people and then actually get on the phone with them. So this is why it's so hard is because one with SMS, what will happen is when we used to not kind of have a lackadaisical system of calling. So we'd send the leads in, let's just say you get a hundred leads, 40, 40 of those people out of those hundreds of 40% so 
would, you know, we call them, we'd do double dial. We call them twice a day and then they'd never answer. So one right there, instantly you're cutting your leads in half by just not being able to get in touch with them. So what you have to do is you have to call those people over and over again. So like we have 14 days where we call them three times a day, AM three times and PM three times. And now like we t- get in contact with 90% of our people instead of 60, which therefore gets you a better return on your marketing. You know what I mean? So it's a ridiculous amount of work. Once you systemize it out and you get other people doing it for you, it's not bad. Like that, it makes it seem like, oh, it's nice and easy. Like, you know, cause I don't have to be making calls um, to all the people who say, no, stop calling me, like get, take me off your list, all that kind of stuff. And you only get to see the good side of it. So that would be the reason why, in my opinion, why people don't do it more. I mean, what is your, you just started doing it. What's your reason? What's your opinion? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Like, and you get a lot it's of so people much. where like, uh, either they'll call you just to like curse you out. Um, or they'll just say, they'll just waste your time. Like, yeah, for the right price. Or like, like someone was like, yeah, I'll sell it for like $2 million. And it's like a hundred thousand dollar house or whatever. <laughs> so I know dude, um, like somehow my phone got put like just recently, my phone got put as like a call forwarding number for one of the, and like somehow in our sales cycle, and, like people would call in. And I, I would get these people, why the fuck are you calling me? I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm just here, like sitting down. I'm like, and I'm like, dude, I, I don't, I don't miss those. So I don't miss that. Yeah. But, it's yeah. definitely a lot to, to filter through, but like the way I look at it is like, you're doing a lot of work up front. At least for me, you're doing a lot of work up front for something that you're going to hold for a long amount of time. So, uh, yeah, for it's sure. like you're just front loading all the work. And then for the next 10 years or whatever, it's not going to be that much work. Plus also you're wholesaling and I'm looking to buy like for our portfolio. So it's a lot less, you know, volume, I, I would say than what you guys are doing. Um, yeah, you can also pay more. So you probably have a little bit bigger, like pool of people who could actually sell to you as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because you need so, to make, you know, $17,000 on each deal. Whereas I could just eat that cost and then, you know, still buy it at that price or even a little bit higher or whatever. For me, it just comes down yeah, to exactly. are we going to be able to refinance and, and get our cash back, which a yeah. lot of the times are you going to be able to burn and be in pretty low, yeah. pretty low on your cash side. If it's beat up or whatever, um, then it's easier to just pay more knowing that it's going to appraise for more and then we can get our money back. Um, but now we're, we're yeah. also like, now I've, I've decided like, I don't really want to do single family and like small multifamily. So we're trying to take the same approach for apartments. And, uh, mm-hmm. the, the trouble that I've run into so far that I'm trying to like figure out a solution for is when it comes to skip tracing the numbers for apartment owners, um, it's a little bit more difficult because they're all in LLCs, not like somebody's name. So the skip tracing doesn't work as well. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, you could always skip trace it, but it's going to be like one by one. Yeah, it's not as good. The way I would do it is in Georgia, you go to the Georgia Secretary of State and then you can do a business search, right? So do the LLC search. And you might've tried this for Florida. Um, I know you texted me, but I, I just sent you a text answer. But anyways, I'll give it to you right now. But just go in there and search up. Like, let's say you search up, I don't know, um, one, two, three Main Street LLC. And then it says registered agent, registered agent might be another LLC, or it could be a person. If it's another company, another LLC, then search up that other LLC and then just keep following that path. And eventually you'll either find a person's name or it'll dead end. And it will be like, um, some kind of like, uh, what is it? Some, I think there's some like servicing companies out there that will sign up LLCs on your behalf or something like that. Mm. So one of the two things is going to happen. Then you can skip trace that registered agent's name with the registered address. Um, that's how it is in Georgia. I don't know what it looks like in Florida. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just that that that's like a okay. one by one process. So, it's super annoying. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, that's more for like if I'm driving around and I see like a distressed apartment building that's worth like spending all that time mm-hmm. to find the info. Um, but I have found other softwares that will give me like the uh, LLC and any associated phone numbers or anything like that. So we're we're testing that out. And, uh, we, we also just started uh, cold calling literally today. So I have uh, nice. hired a VA in the Philippines and, uh, he has five years of real estate cold calling experience and English is super good and everything. And, uh, he's, uh, he's worked with wholesalers. So I'm having him just call up apartment owners and seeing how that goes. 
And then we're also doing uh, direct mail for just for uh, apartment owners. And I'm looking into buying the, the actual, there's like this direct mail machine where it's like mm-hmm. uh, four grand or whatever. And it'll like print, fold, pack, and uh, seal envelopes for you. And then I think you all you have mm-hmm. to do is put the stamp on it and it'll like write, it'll print the address on the envelope and everything. Um, so that'll cut your direct mail costs in half. So typical direct mail is like a dollar mm-hmm. 40 or something. It'll be like 75 cents basically if you do it that way, including the cost of the stamp. So uh, I don't know, I'm just yeah. testing a bunch of things and then seeing like what's going to, what's going to yield the best results um, for getting apartment owners on the phone at scale. Cause it's just a little bit different than, uh, than uh, single family. But the cool thing about them is they're not going to call you just to curse you out. Like for them, it's not, it's much less emotional and they're like, well, everything has a price or whatever. So they're more willing yeah. to like talk at least so far in my, in my experience. So um, yeah, the numbers just have to make sense, you know, at the end right. of the day for those kind of guys. I mean, that's like what we notice is when like two things for wholesaling is out of state investors are typically more savvy than the local investors. Mm-hmm. So we've had more success with people who are actually local to the county or to the city or to the state than people who are out of state. I guess for that reason is my assumption. And then the same thing with like LLC owners for single family. Not all of them. We've done L- we've done deals with corporations, but um, most of them are a little more savvy. So for the wholesale side. Like we, that's, that's two things we found out. Yeah. But so actually now you for again, that, for apartments, a, a strategy might be, cause when I pull these lists, uh, a lot of them, not a lot, but I'd say like 10%, they're not in an LLC. So if you own an yeah. apartment building, not in an LLC, you're probably like a more mom and pop kind of person or investor. So those might just be, uh, yeah, I would, I would guess. Yeah. So based on what you're saying, like those are more likely to probably not have raised rents in 20 years and like be undervalued and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, uh, that's actually yeah. a good point. Yeah, I would say that's, I'm gonna, yeah, I would say that I would hit those guys hard. Um, cause that, that might be where you can get your best value add, uh, deals, you know, you can yeah. buy at the best cap and then, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that that would be, <laughs> that'd be where I'd start. It's kind of crazy that people own major apartments, not in a, I mean, they're not major. They might be like 12 units, but like maybe uh, your dad built these 12 units in like 989 or something and you you inherited it and you've had it for 20 years and it's been paid off. And like, you know, you're a contractor or you're do something else and you're just not a business person. You just have it. So you might have just never thought to to do that. So that's uh, fair. That's, That's a really fair. solid golden nugget. I'm going to implement that as soon as we get off of this. I think that, I think I might implement that too. That's a good <laughs> Dude, idea. If you can wholesale an apartment <laughs> building. That'd be insane. Dude. Cause like our best Bro. deal so far, um, it was four units and they're severely under rented. Like we, it was rented for 600 bucks. We've raised the rent on two of the units to 1150 on one unit. All we did mm-hmm. was change the floors and like add a ceiling fan. And, uh, on the other unit, we didn't even change the floor. We just kept the carpet and it rented for eleven fifty like right away, so um, that's awesome. So I'm like, yeah, if we could find something like that, and it's like a thirty unit or like a twenty four unit or twelve unit or whatever, uh, we could do really well. So, but that guy, the guy we bought it from, he fit that profile. Like it wasn't in an LLC. He'd bought it in like nineteen eighty something. He'd lived in in it over the years and fixed it up. And he wasn't a business person. He was like a professor or something at a, uh, not, not even a professor. He worked at the local university. And uh, so I'm sure there's plenty of people like that out there that own like eight, 10, 12 units, six units that just, that's their only property. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around another way you could find those people besides just looking for the non-incorporated uh, ownerships. That's kind of interesting. There's yeah. gotta be, that's. That's like, uh, if you can figure that out, you can definitely put a key in the puzzle that no one else has got. So yeah. Yeah. Cause that'd be pretty awesome. Owners. Um, we'll see, we'll, we just have direct mail. So we'll see how that works. Um, but did I, you do the wine? I knew you were sending out wine to people too, right? Yeah. I did that wine to brokers, uh, just to connect with brokers and uh, that worked decently well. Like I got a couple callbacks from brokers. They've been sending me stuff through, but nice. uh, similar to like an agent. It's like, once you talk to an agent, you're, you're dead set on getting like top dollar. 
So I'm trying to get yeah. to those people before they talk to a broker. And of course, keep the, the brokers. A lot of the times they, they will shop deals like before they hit the market as well. Um, before mm-hmm. they, they'll shop them before they like do all the work of getting on the market because it's a lot different than like, like if I'm a realtor and I want to sell your house, it's, it's not that complicated. Like I take some pictures, I make a listing, whatever. Um, for brokers, it's a lot more time and money because they have to put together an offering memorandum and that takes a lot of time. Like they take like aerial pictures of the place and then they uh, will like make a little uh, map of where it's at and all the like key things around there. And then they'd have to co- collect all these like financials. And it's just like the, the, like the average OM is probably like 20 pages. So if you're like, hey, I could, I could make this 20 page report, but if I can sell this without having to make this 20 page report and make both sides of the commission, the buyer and the seller side, um, I'm way better oh, off. Aren't you? Huh? Yeah. Also like those big, also those bigger apartment deals, it's not as easy to run comps on and say, Oh, this is worth 800,000. Like a single family house. You can just pop up the MLS or Zillow and say, Oh, okay. This yeah. is what this is worth. It, yeah. It's the, the way that multifamily is valued. Uh, this is actually a good lesson for everybody who's like list, looking to get into multifamily. It's uh, it's not based on comps at all, really. It's uh, based on, so if you go to Google and you type in like um, multifamily cap rate, uh, Denver, Colorado, there's companies that do reports and they'll tell you like right now apartments in Denver, uh, it'll even give you like, here, I'll, I'll actually do it live right now. So if I go to Google, I type in uh, apartment cap rate 2021 Denver. It'll tell me like apartmentloanstore.com is typically the first one that comes up. So it'll say like um, uh, multifamily suburban A class trades at a 5.35 cap. Uh, B class is at a 5.68 cap. C class is at a 6.25 cap. So basically what that means is like my return, if I bought this building cash, it would be 5.38% or whatever it is. So um, that's pretty much like what it's valued at. Uh, th- that cap rate, uh, it has a relationship with the NOI, the net operating income. So for example, if uh, a property makes a hundred grand a year and it's a 5.38 cap, that means if this property was paid off uh, and I bought this in cash, then I would make 5.38% on my money. So then you take that and there's a there's an equation. I think it's a cap rate divided by NOI and that gives you the purchase price. So the interesting thing about that, so let's say, you know, uh, 5.38 cap divided by 100,000 NOI. Oh, sorry. It's, it's the other way. Yeah. Right. So an NOI is net operating income. Right. If everyone, yep. Hold on. My math skills. I'm not here. Good. Uh, why, why you're doing that math. So Another good tip. 1.8 1. million, 1.9 million almost purchase price. So if I have a deal in Denver right now that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year um, and it's a C class or whatever, a B class at suburban multifamily, um, then that, would be valued at 1.8. So it's pretty easy to find out like what they're, what the properties are valued at. Um, the key though, is like, let's say that that is a, uh, I don't know, however many units and they're all rented for like 700 bucks a month, but I can get like a thousand dollars a month with some capital improvement by improving the value of each of those units by $300 by improving the rents. Then now my cap rate, my NOI goes way up. And then my cap rate also goes way up. So that's mm-hmm. how you increase the value. Not necessarily like market cap rates do change. Um, so in, a, in like a depressed market, you know, that five cap might be an eight cap. And then your your property has, has uh, value has gone down. Um, but it's much more dependent on the market as a whole rather than just like this little neighborhood or whatever. Yeah, exactly. As things get more competitive, people are willing to take less return on their money because, you know, they, they don't have a place to put it, but another like good tip that I learned this weekend from this guy, um, he's got, you know, he's doing like a 400 unit apartment, uh, new build he's got going up. Um, and he's got like a hundred unit, uh, like what is it? Senior living facility or something like that. Um, but anyways, he was saying that when you have properties 
is it look at the return on your equity. And what that means is like, let's say for example, you have a property that's, you know, bringing you, that you, it's like a $200,000 property. You have, you know, you own it free and clear, all this kind of stuff. Well, if you get the normal appreciate, well, excuse me, for the return on equity, let's say for that, you're getting on $200,000 house, you're getting um, $2,000 a month, let's just say. So you're getting a 10% return on your equity for that entire house. But let's say what you could do is if you utilize a 1031 exchange, you take all that money and you move it over into, you know, do a down payment on an $800,000 house. And that $800,000 house is renting you, let's say six grand a month or five grand a month or whatever. It's maybe an apartment or whatever it is. And you're getting a much higher return on your equity for your net income, right? So maybe instead of making 2000 net, you're making like 3,500 or 3000 or whatever it is. So on your 200,000, you just made, went from 10% return on equity to almost 15 or 20% just from doing a 1031 exchange. And the other thing he mentioned was that with going from a $200,000 asset to an $800,000 asset or, you know, whatever the numbers are, any appreciation, like let's say it appreciates like right now the market's going crazy and everything's appreciating 10% plus a year. But let's say that you're just getting a normal like three to 5%. If you have an $800,000 house, that three to 5% appreciation that you're get, building into your personal equity is substantially larger four times larger than a $200,000 house. So by leveraging your equity, obviously you don't want to over leverage yourself, but by leveraging your equity and your, you know, then you can substantially increase how much net worth you gain to over uh, appreciation and cash flow. So yeah, uh, David Green talks about return on equity in the book, really? long distance real estate investing. Um, yeah. And it's an interesting con- concept that a lot of people I rarely, rarely like hear it talked about. Yeah. Same as the first time I've ever heard of it. I was like, that's genius. So Dude, you should come to, uh, you should come to Miami next weekend. <laughs> Dude, Miami next weekend. Uh, there's the grand Cardone real estate event. 10 X. Yeah. No, no, it's a, uh, it's a real estate summit. It's a different one. Okay. Let's talk about it. There's going to be some dollars there. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, you guys don't know. Um, I actually, me and JR wrestle in Commons Park in Denver every Wednesday normally. Oh, and I actually met a guy just just last week, like two weeks ago, JR. And he's seen us wrestling in the park before. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He's like, you're he's like, y'all, you're that weirdo who's out there rolling around in the park. <laughs> Yo, that's hilarious. How did he know. how did you meet him? Mike's friend, obviously. Well, our friend Mike. That's so funny. We're uh, yeah. we're known in Denver as the weirdos who wrestle in the park. It's so weird. Okay, so we wrestle in the park, and like people just like come by and like watch, or they'll just like awkwardly stand like far away, but like still watch, stare, not <laughs> stop looking at us. Like it's obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's so uh, it's so weird. But I just got used to it by uh, you got to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. So I've just gotten used to it by just doing it more. Um, I'd say that's like, that's like a most important tip right there. Get uncomfortable being, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Like get comfortable with getting cursed out on the phone by yeah. that you're just trying to buy their house. Yeah. Like, so I'm just trying to give you a large amount of cash in a short amount of time. So what, like, what, what's your advice to somebody who's like, cause I, I know like, all right, when I asked you, like, how did you figure all this stuff out? It was all like, you know, your answer was like YouTube, um, I think it was like YouTube courses, trial and error, talking to people. So uh, I noticed that that's like a, it's like a 21st century skill. And I think a lot of people still don't have it, but I've learned like a lot of what I know about, especially about real estate has just come from books, podcasts, YouTube um, courses, talking to other people, et cetera. So if somebody's like looking to get started and they're like, there's just so much information out there. Um, or like, let's say that they're not, they don't have money to invest right now, but they're like, oh, if I can mm-hmm. wholesale like three or four deals and I can make enough money to buy my first or second or buy a couple rental properties. Um, yeah. What would you say to that person who's like just getting started? I would say the main thing that, you know, we tell everyone who we talk to is in a similar situation is the only way you're going to, you know, be able to even potentially wholesale or buy someone's house is by talking to people who have a house to sell. So that's the number one situation. So whatever way that is, 
you know, there's things called deal machine, which is like a driving for dollars. If you've ever heard of it, it's like a pretty fairly inexpensive app where you literally just track down and you can see any properties. Like, let's say you drive by a house and it's, you know, tall grass, like code violations, distress, like the shutters are falling off. It looks like the house hasn't been cleaned in a while. The grass is 15 inches tall, you know, whatever it is. Then you can just look on the little app and it tells you who's the owner. You can skip trace it right there for really cheap and then you can call them up. So that's like one way I would do it. Another way that I would you do it also is if you have direct mail from the app directly. Yeah. You can send them a direct mail right from the app. You can knock on their door. If it's someone who, if you look at it and it's not an absentee owner and the owner lives there. So it means the, um, the mailing address and the property address are the same. Um, then you can go knock on the door and say, you know, just see if they're interested in selling. Um, you know, just talk to as many people as you can. Another way you can do is like, you know, on like Zillow, you can go to expired listings and call those, um, or you can call the for sale by owners just to get used to talking to people, uh, getting, getting that. Cause it's, it's a little bit hard initially. Like you're going to be nervous. You're probably going to, unless you're just a natural gift of gab type of person, it's going to be, you're going to be like, Oh my God, I'm scared. <laughs> but no, you're just going to, you're going to need to figure out and get comfortable in that situation. So that's how, what a couple of things I would recommend. Um, other than that, going like, like JR said, podcast, um, podcast, Facebook groups, uh, man, what else? YouTube, like on YouTube, I'd watch Pace Morby. He gives away everything, you know, guys like Brent Daniels, Pace Morby, uh, Max Maxwell. Um, dude, there's so many, there's literally countless peoples um, that, that you could learn from. So the best, but again, remember the, t- the goal is to talk to people who have houses and see if they're interested in selling to an investor. Basically it's what you're trying to figure out if they have a reason to sell a motivation to sell that's financial um whether it's a property like a distressed signal or if it's like a personal thing like whether it's you know maybe they just inherited the property maybe they're it's a probate deal and you know their their father just died and they're going to inherit the property whatever it might be there's going to be some reason they need to sell but i mean that would be my best advice it's like you just got to do it once you get in the habit of doing something where you're talking to people and you actually have a situation um, that you could learn from. Like, let's say you talk to someone, they, they told you this, man, how do I respond to that? Well, that's perfect. That's why you have the Facebook groups. Like for example, you can go into wholesale to millions. Um, you know, we have a Facebook group now called level up real estate. Um, there's tons of them. You can just look up wholesaling Facebook pages and you can go in there and ask whatever questions your question has probably already been answered too. And it will tell you literally what you should say, how, what you should do, you know, how is someone handling this situation? That's what I would do is leverage Facebook groups because that's where a ton of information is. Also YouTube, you know, you can look that you can look up almost anything on the internet and someone's been through it. Like bigger pockets has forums, you know, you have YouTube. I mean, if you can't figure it out through Google, then um, then you might be the first one to have the problem. So um, a suggestion is like you can figure out most anything. Uh, it's all out there. It's think, just uh, another thing would be if you have more time than money, What's that? Go ahead. Keep finish. I was going to say another thing is like, if you have the time, then YouTube and these other, these strategies work perfectly. If you don't have time, then like joining some kind of mentorship or mastermind course that teaches you how to do it. You have that in that scenario, you have more money than time to speed up the learning curve. That's all mentorships and masterminds do is they speed up the learning curve. You're paying to know something sooner than having to go through all the trials and the tribulations and the failures. That's all you're spending your money on. But Go ahead, JR. Would you say that, uh, what would you say if somebody's like, I mean, I don't know, what do you think about is wholesaling too saturated or too competitive at this point? Um, dude, no. I know people who, like, we met these guys last week who they just started in September. They've already done 30 deals. That's crazy. Yeah, like, they're, like, it's, it's, we hired, so we hired two, or not hired, we promoted two guys. We had one acquisitions, which we call acquisition manager, closer. Um, if you're like in the digital marketing space, whatever, but it's the person who's getting the contract signed, making the agreements, doing all the negotiating. Um, we, we brought two of our guys up to acquisitions manager, uh, and we trained them up. And within the first week, they literally both, like we had one guy who's in from Bolivia. He's closed two contracts this week, this last week. And then our other guy closed one contract. And before our, our past closer had been on a dry spell and not been able to get any deals. We're like, dude, what's going on? We're like trying to figure it out. And then instantly, as soon as we made a little change, someone else talking on the phone, whatever it was, then we instantly get just had way better results. So it's just, I mean, dude, it's, it's literally just 
there's so many deals out there and every person's different. Um, you know, JR, you're going to relate to different people than I will. I'll relate to different people than you people in the audience. You, you guys are going to relate to different people. I'm, it's just, it's just the way it works. There's so many deals happening. There's so many properties that need to be fixed up people in distress. And like, we can't get to all of them, even as many people as there are. It's still, a, even though you think it's saturated, there's still, it's still a pretty small industry. Not many people you go tell your, your family friend from high school, I'm doing wholesale and real estate. I'm wholesaling real estate. What's that? Mm-hmm. No one knows. Like very, 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 very few people know. It might seem like it's a big thing just because we're in the real estate space, but it's pretty dang, pretty dang small in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, uh, I, like when I first heard the term wholesaling was probably like 2018 or 17 or something. And, uh, I had no idea, like I had zero clue. Like, and I, I like everybody's seen like the, we buy ugly houses signs and stuff. And, uh, I just assumed like they were just flipping them or whatever. Uh, I just never crossed mm-hmm. my mind that there was like a, a little middleman in there. Yeah. It's like, well, the only wholesaling I ever knew of was like Sam's club. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. um, that's like all I, I was like, dude, I didn't, what's up? How'd you find your, uh, your buyers list? Like the people who you sell these deals to. Okay. So buyers list one, the one thing we found our like first couple buyers is you literally look at who's bought houses in the last like year for cash nearby. Mm-hmm. That's, and then you just call those people up Hey, You know, we have a property we're looking to sell near XYZ location. I don't know if you, you know, if you're actively buying anymore. No. Okay, cool. Yes. Okay, cool. You know, let's, I'll send you the details. So there's things called prop stream, which is just like a general like tool that you can use has actually a cash buyers filter, which is that same as like those are cash sales in the last year. And it shows you all the new things, all the people nearby who sold. So that's one way you can do the, you can do the harder way and call a bunch of people. Another way you can do it is partner up with another wholesaler in your community. Let's say they're, you know, more successful, more well-known. They do a decent amount of deals. They have a, a built up buyers list. Say, Hey man, look, if I bring, if I do, if I JV with you, like we split a deal 50, 50, if we do like one, maybe they want one or two or three, whatever their number is. Can I get your buyers list? And then just eat that little bit of loss. And you might not even lose anything. Cause if their buyers list is better than yours, you might make more 50, 50 with them than you would by yourself. But what you're going to do is you're going to only do one to three deals. So maybe you lose what 10, $15,000, maybe if that's, if you have a good buyer or whatever, but you get access to 5k, 10k buyers instantly that 10k, 15k that you maybe lost is well worth its weight in gold. Cause you're going to be able to make that back in every single deal you do. So that's another way. Once you get that buyer's list, uh, once you build it up, then I would just trade with other people. Just see, Hey, can we trade buyer's list? And then, you know, he, let's say JR has 5k on his list. I have 5k on mine. We combine it. We both have 7,000 taking out the duplicates or whatever, you know, or we both have 10,000, whatever it comes out to be. So that's one way you could do it. But I would say my favorite way is just partnering with other people to get their buyers list. Like we've done it multiple times where we've given it out um, for people partnering with us. You know, it helps them. It helps you. Everyone wins, to be honest. And if you're just starting out and you don't have a buyers list, you probably can learn a lot from someone who has a good buyers list and who's doing deals. So, cause they're, they're going to, if, if, sitting in my position, if someone comes to me and is bringing me good wholesale deals that we can blast out and we make money together on whatever questions you have, I'm going to answer them. Like I'll be here basically almost as like a mentor because you're helping me. I'm going to make an extra 20, $30,000 doing absolutely nothing. That's worth a lot to me. So I'm going to definitely be there to answer whatever questions you have. So obviously you got to make sure you find a good person, but that's, that's a critical, critical thing I'd say for the cash buyers is uh by finding what properties have been bought in cash basically the the way that you can find like what are the hot areas for investment to, for you to focus your your energy and marketing is by finding the zip codes that have had the most cash buyers in the last yep. six months or a year whatever so uh, that's how mm-hmm. i found like in in tallahassee i didn't know what the hot zip codes were and the way I found them was by searching like who's, who's bought, what, what zip code has moved the most cash properties over the last year. And then I focused all of our efforts on those zip codes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I will say in Atlanta, we, I ran that a while ago and the 
three worst markets were the highest cash sales. So, um, so just make sure you know your market a little bit, like look into the zip codes that you're getting. But, you know, like JR said, that's where the buyers are at. That's where you should be finding deals because if you want to sell a deal, you got to have buyers there. So, right. So would you recommend finding the buyers first or finding the deals first? Um, find the deal first, figure it out. Like that's the, don't think about what am I going to do once I get this? Cause then you're going to be stuck in analysis paralysis. Just figure it out. Once you get a contract, you have like, you're going to have a 15 day due diligence. That's if business day, 15 day business due diligence, that's three weeks. If you can't figure out how to sell a deal in three weeks, you're going to go and starve on the, on the streets. So to be honest, just get the contract, get it locked up and figure out what to do from there. There's, if you have you're a, you, once you get something signed and in paper like that, a contract, that's a good deal. You're a valuable asset to almost anyone. So you could literally bring that to anyone. Hey man, what can I do with this? I guarantee you 10 out of 10 people are going to help you. So yeah, if you can't figure it out on your own, that's what I would do. But yeah, definitely yeah, just you get the things. Find another wholesaler, like literally Google, go to your, go to Google, type in, uh, sell my house fast Atlanta. And then like call all those people and say, Hey, I have a deal under contract. Can you help me? Unload exactly. It? So exactly. And they will be more than happy to help you unload it. Promise. Yeah. And I always say like, I mean, everybody says this, but like finding deals is harder than finding anything else, finding money, finding buyers, anything like that. So especially in the market right now. Yeah. So I spend my, like the majority of my time, I just spend on like deal generating activities, like direct mail, setting up systems for cold calling or whatever, connecting with brokers. Um, and then the rest of the time, like typically during work hours, I try not to do anything else that's not like finding a deal. Because once I find a deal, then I'll find the lender. Uh, then I'll find like an investor if I need to or or whatever. Like I'll do all the work outside of that. Even if I don't really know like, you know, who's going to lend on this or or anything like that. Um, I'll just find, focus on the deal first. And a lot of things are taken care of by just finding the deal first. Yep. 100%. That's, you got to have a deal in order to do anything else. So cool, man. So uh, yeah, like let everybody know where they could uh, find you. I know you have a, a real estate program now that you're starting with uh, helping wholesalers. Yep. Yep. So yeah, so we're starting, we have a Facebook group now. We're going to be rolling out some more like, I guess what you'd call like masterclass type coaching programs. Um, we do have like a, the only, right now we have like a monthly, um, basically like where we go through our business, go through that. And it's called a workshop, we call it. But um, should I drop my like social media stuff down in the chat or should I, where should I just say it or what? Say it, yeah. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at Chandler Sane. So S A I N E. So Chandler spelled normal, saying S A I N E. And then you can follow my partner is Gino G I N O underscore R E I underscore A T L. Um, and then also in Facebook, look up level up real estate Facebook group. And then those are the best places you can find us, um, and find out more, ask questions, whatever it might be, but yeah. So Cool, that's man. pretty much it. I mean, yeah, awesome. I mean, well, uh, thanks feel for free to reach out and, uh, and sharing all this stuff. Um, super good info. And it's just inspiring to see somebody crushing it at 22 years old and just like dove in, went all in and hasn't even been doing this like a super long time or anything. So, uh, yeah, keep, uh, killing it and uh, we'll definitely have you back on soon, but you, you, you need to for buy sure. your own properties too. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to buy my own properties. I got to, <laughs> I got taxes to pay. So I got to buy my own properties. All right, dude. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. JR. I'll talk to you soon, bro. Thanks for listening to the instant leverage podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll leave us a five-star rating and subscribe. See you on the next episode. Yeah.